Hello, Jennifer. Hello, Peter. So I was lucky enough to speak at an event last week, a very large event here in Australia. And as is one of the benefits of speaking at a large event, you get to hear from amazing other speakers and hear their stories and their insights and their ideas and their aha moments. And there was one in particular that I wanted to bounce off you and share with you and our listeners that relates to failure. And I'm now starting to figure out how it applies to perfectionism, the stories we tell ourselves about failure and all of the things. And it came from this brilliant woman by the name of Jackie Cooper. Can't wait to hear. This is the long and the short of it. Okay, so let me set a little context. So Jackie Cooper is an Australian aerial ski jumper. You know, like in the Olympics or in the World Championships where you see... Yeah, they do crazy stuff in the air. Right. The most absurdly outrageous sport that is, I think, so hard to even try and appreciate and learn from is what I was thinking when I was like, how could I possibly learn anything from someone who can literally flip through the air and not be scared about it? <laughs> like, I just, it's so unrelatable in my mind. Anyway, so Jackie Cooper, she's Australian. She no longer competes. She's a five-time Olympian. She has been to like 139 World Cups. She's statistically, arguably, the greatest aerial skier of all time, wow. male or female, in the world. And she's Australian, so we love Jackie. Anyway, so she's like, in many ways, I was thinking, unrelatable, right? Like, how could I possibly relate to that? And then she went into her story, which was great. But one thing in particular she shared was she asked the audience, having shared her statistics and her credentials, and establishing that, yes, I am arguably the greatest aerial skier of all time. And then she said that she'd reviewed every single jump she ever took over her 20-year period in training and in competition. And she asked the audience, guess what percentage of jumps you think I landed? Oh. Do you want to guess? Well, okay. I immediately am pinging it off of baseball. Oh, right, right, right. Say more. Well, if you're batting 300 or more, then you're really excellent. So I'm going to say under 30%. Right, which is a pretty outrageous guess. Most people in the audience were like 70%, 60%, like you're the greatest of all time. I'm pretty sure you're going to land 60%, 70%, 80%, 90%. And her answer was 20%. Wow. Okay. So that's even lower than I thought. And I thought I was so smart just now. (laughs) Right, right. You you did a very good job. I think 30% is a very good guess. But- she, when she said that, it just like punched me in the face with mm-hmm. just the realness of what that means. That the greatest aerial skier of all time didn't get the outcome she was seeking 80% of the time. Yeah. Like some people would obviously say she failed 80% of the time. She actually pushed back on that whole word of like that notion of failure because she's like, no, I didn't. I, I learned from those which made me the jumper that I am today. And so- she was kind of reframing this idea of failure, but just this notion that the greatest of all time didn't get the outcome she wanted 80% of the time. I was like, holy crap. Yeah. How is that not relevant to every single person listening to this talk, every single person listening to this podcast, where we get so afraid of making mistakes or doing something for fear of what the outcome could be if it doesn't go the way we want? And she just so casually was like, yeah, like I had to make 80% of the mistakes I made in order to be the 20% that made me the greatest of all time. So I was like, this is rich. We need to talk about it. There are lessons here. Oh my gosh. I have so many things I need to say. First of all, you just put the 80-20 rule 
into oh. excellence in a certain field. That's so cool. The other thing is that at a certain point when she reached a certain skill level, she could have landed 100% of the jumps if she just did an easy jump that didn't require all of her skill. <laughs> Good point. Good point. Yes. So there's like a, a lesson there in constantly changing the difficulty intentionally to hone your craft, to be better, to strive to land a jump you've never landed before. Hmm. Yes. And then the third thing that came to mind was I recently had this conversation with some clients because I'm in the middle of my coaching program and many of them have supplied me with what's called a talent report from their agents where they see everything their agent has submitted them for and then everything they actually got an audition for. And it is so wild to have these conversations with them because they all assume that everyone else, when their agent submits them, like 80% of the time they're going to get called in. And I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. I'm looking at all of these talent reports. That is not the case. And I had one client who had about 30, 35% of the things she was being submitted for, she was getting picked up for. I was like, do you have any idea how outrageous that number is? That's extremely high. And she was like, right. what? <laughs> so we just assume that everyone else is doing better than we are. Right. Yeah, there's something here around comparison and the stories we tell ourselves about successful, in air quotes, people and, you know, that they wouldn't fail or they wouldn't have struggle or they would master everything and be able to pull off the thing they want to pull off 100% of the time. Yeah. And it's just never true. So, like, I, it doesn't feel like this idea is necessarily a groundbreaking idea that no one's ever shared before, right? Like, so many people have talked about the fact that most influential slash successful, again, whatever that means to you, people are kind of standing on a pile of their failures or their mm -hmm. missed opportunities or their experiences that didn't go to plan. But I just, I find it so helpful to hear different versions of that from different fields. And like I mentioned at the start, I was like, Jackie, it was just an extraordinary person. Like I was so enamored by her before she even started speaking. And then I was kind of like, I can't possibly learn something from this person. She is a superhero. And then I was like, nope, there it is. Like, that is it. It's what am I trying to avoid for fear of the 80% right? where I'm not realizing that's actually the part that enables me to get to the 20%, hopefully. The other thing that just feels, I, I'm, I've never been an aerial jumping skier person. <laughs> so I feel like you'd have a good go at it, bro. They're like, you're compact, you're, you know. Yeah. If I liked heights, maybe. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but I imagine that falling's dangerous. <laughs> that there are like real stakes attached every right. single time your skis leave the ground. And like knowing that it's dangerous and being willing to fail. Mm. I really admire that. Yeah. I want to strive for that more. There's a certain type of courage. Yeah. As a lay person. But in hearing her talk about it, it's so interesting because the way that she grew up and the way that she was introduced to the sport and her relationship with courage and fear and all of that, it was just like she kind of had no choice. Mm. You know, in the sense it's like this is the thing that she wanted to do and was more or less born to do. She was jumping on a trampoline from when she was like three years old, flipping and somersaulting. And like, there was kind of no consideration of the fear 
in a way. So it's so interesting, like the different relationship she had with the whole idea of the danger of the sport. Because I agree, most people look at it and go, I wouldn't even roll up that thing on a toboggan, you know? I wouldn't even look at it. <laughs> right, 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 right. But the other thing I take from that, like to your point, us lay people can look at it and go, like there are real stakes in aerial skiing, right? Like yeah. genuine real stakes where you could seriously hurt yourself. And yet <laughs> there are so rarely real stakes with the things that we that we avoid or the stories we tell ourselves, right? Like this yeah. to me is the, you know, the Tim Ferriss fear setting exercise, which we've mentioned many times. I'll put it in the box of goodies, but the exercise is essentially you write down your biggest fears and what could go wrong if you do something or don't do something. And then part of the punchline is you work through, well, how would you get back to where you were if that came true? And hopefully what you realize is, oh, this fear I have is totally recoverable. Or the impact of the, if this goes wrong, if this is one of the 80% of the failures, is actually not that great at all. But like the impact of not sticking an aerial ski jump, it's pretty severe. Right, right. <laughs> So I was kind of like left with a bit of a like, what is your excuse, Pete? You know, like your fears, the things that you're avoiding, whether it's like having a difficult conversation or, you know, submitting a proposal for a client or whatever it is. And you're like, oh, hold back. Maybe I'll perfect it. I don't want to get it wrong. I don't want them to say no. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that. And it's like, come on, the stakes are so low. Yeah. I find that empowering. So we recently had the Tony Awards here in the States. It was a great night for many reasons. And the person who won the Tony Award for Best Set Design is a designer named Beowulf Borat. And he's just inspirational in so many ways and so kind and so generous and such a good human who also happens to be a creative genius. But during his acceptance speech, he was holding a piece of paper, which had the speech on it. And it was pretty steady and calm. And then all of a sudden, he was going to say this very I suppose, risky statement about mm. how poorly women are treated and represented in our industry. As soon as he started speaking, his hand was shaking. And because he's holding the white piece of paper, you just see it flopping. Wow. And my daughter was like, oh my gosh, his hand is shaking. And I was like, yeah, because what he's saying right now is really scary and it mm. really matters. And mm. it was like this visible moment of seeing someone take a big risk. And I was so impressed. Yeah, I like that. It's like the reality is everyone has the handshake in some yep. capacity about something in their life. And so the difference is essentially between those who do it anyway and those who don't. You know, like he could have written that down on his piece of paper, looked at the piece of paper and gone, oh, absolutely not. I'm not saying that tonight. I'm too scared. Exactly. But instead he did it. That's like a version in my mind of showing up, you know? Mm -hmm. He felt the fear and he did it anyway. He showed up. He went, all right, I'm going to do it. I'm going to show up. I'm going to say this. I'll deal with the fear of me shaking my hands and perhaps the outcome that might come from it. It's making me wonder, Pete. Well, I'm going to question you while I am simultaneously questioning myself about this. Great. How frequently are you failing right now? Oh, that is a brilliant question. You know, I spent the drive home from this event thinking some version of this. I, the question I was noodling on was, like, what is a failure in my world? Mm -hmm. Because it's pretty obvious if you don't stick an aerial ski jump that you, like, didn't stick the aerial ski jump. <laughs> right. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> right. So, I was driving home thinking to myself, 
I don't know if I have a version of this. Like, what is it that we record an episode that gets put on the cutting room floor or I deliver a workshop that I don't think got the cut through that I was hoping it got? And even those, they felt so kind of naff. I was like, maybe I'm not taking enough creative risks. Maybe I'm not pushing the boundaries of the, the ideas I'm trying to generate. So I don't have a great answer for you in terms of what failure looks like for me, but it's kind of the reason this like hit me between the eyes, I think, is like, what is my version of that creatively or or business-wise? What is my version of a failure that is recoverable and that can be gotten again? I mean, even thinking about it out loud, like one version of it is so much of the work that we do and people that run businesses do is you're proposing solutions or ideas or workshops or coaching for a particular client or organization. And they don't always say, yeah, great, we want to do that. And so I do have, I don't even think of them as failures because I just feel like it's, I guess that's my 80%. I just feel like there are certain projects that are going to go ahead and there are certain projects that are not going to go ahead. And so I guess maybe that's one version of that for me, but I'm thinking more about it from like, writing a blog perspective or doing our podcast perspective or delivering a keynote, like where is the risk that I'm not taking? Mm. Yeah, when I turn this question back on myself, I realize I have a different relationship with a macro failure, which mm. I feel like I can immediately say like this very epic failure happened. And in hindsight, I learned X, Y, and Z, and it was so helpful, even though in the moment I hated it. But the micro failures, the 80% failures, I don't know that I am self-aware enough right now to name what those are. And yeah. I think I might be missing a lot of learning opportunities. Like this is making me want to actively pay more attention to the things that even if it's just slightly off, because I imagine in a ski jump, even if it's just a teensy tiny bit off, you're going to fall. Yeah. Like I'm curious where I am one degree off and how I can learn from that more. Yeah. It's almost like the thing that is your 80%, you don't even think of as failure because it's such a just a natural part of your work or your experience mm. that from the outside, someone might say, that was a failure. But like you internally are just like, no, I, I think of that as just part of the process. I don't even think about that as failure. I think that's what Jackie Cooper was trying to get across. was like, she didn't even think of that 80% as a failure. She just like, oh, didn't stick it. I over-rotated. Great. I won't over-rotate next time and move on. Yeah. Now, of course, I'm going to go down the Google rabbit hole and have to watch every possible video I can find of her flying through the air. Can't wait to see. Seriously, her stories are outrageous. Like, you know, dislocating her hip, popping it back <gasps> in place, going back to the top of the ski jump and doing a jump, having just popped her hip out. Like, outrageous <laughs> stories. <laughs> Again, so unrelatable because I'm like, if I popped my hip out of place... You would, like, you would not see me surface for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. Like, what the hell? Anyway. Well, this, again, it's like such a beautiful metaphor for how much tolerance we have for discomfort. I imagine that was quite uncomfortable. Now, for her, that is like literal physical pain. For us, that might mm. be emotional discomfort. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it, I guess it goes back to that idea that I, you and I have talked about before where like what's remarkable to someone else is often just ordinary or what's yeah. extraordinary to you might be ordinary to me. And I often give you give the example of, you know, your amazing clients that <laughs> literally sing and dance in front of people is 
normal to them. That's ordinary to them. And for me, it's like the most extraordinary, fear-inducing, uncomfortable thing I could possibly imagine. Yep. And for them, it's just like oxygen. (laughs) It's weird. It's so weird. Yeah. Anywho, I didn't think, like I mentioned, that there was necessarily that much for me to learn from someone who was so accomplished and literally the greatest of all time in her sport, (laughs) a five-time Olympian who had such a compelling story. But I think the most compelling part for me was 80% of the time, 80% of the time, I can't get over it. She did not get the outcome she was seeking. And that is the long and the short of it. 